0: This is DJ Thomas, and you're listening to Frequency Interrupted. Leon Joseph Littlebird, how are you, sir? Oh, I'm great, DJ, man. How are you? Man, I'm awesome. It's good to see you again. It's been a few months since I've seen you. Um, met you briefly on the um, summit of the Continental Divide in July. <laughs> <laughs> right there on Loveland Pass on yeah. your wedding day. Yes, and it was a very look, this that's an amazing time to meet someone. Not, not so, not even so much just someone in general, but you being officiating that, you know, ceremony and also that you're, you know, of Indian Native American he- heritage and all the things you have going on. And just, you know, I'd like to talk about, you know, how interesting of an individual you are. Well, thank you. Um,
1: I, it, it's true. I, I mean, I just celebrated my 71st birthday, so I've had a while to experience the world. Yeah. And I've uh, been doing it full tilt my whole life. So it's pretty fun. And we sure had a good day uh, up there on the Continental Divide for you and Megan. That was a spectacular yeah, it was ceremony. Awesome. It was
0: just the three of us with a photographer. It was, yeah, man, it was, it was beautiful. The energy was amazing, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It's was something crazy. Um, definitely, any just just the experience of, uh, yeah. I mean, it's all about the energy, really. I mean, that's that's the best ex- explanation I have.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. We we really were gifted with a lot of good energy flowing that day. It yeah. Was, it was. It's the relationship that makes it work. I mean, wedding wedding ceremonies are all about how much the people are in love. So yeah, yeah. you guys made it work.
0: Yeah, man. We're still going strong. No complaints. We'll give her my love. <laughs> I'm sure will. She'll definitely check this one out. She likes you, so she'll, she'll be <laughs> she'll be wondering how many times we name drop her, probably or something. I'm, I'm sure she'll. Hi, Megan. <laughs> <laughs> but man, so. Back to you. How did you get? First of all, tell me your story because I mean, you're you're not only you know you don't only you know do things like what we did together, but you also you know compose music, write music, perform music, uh, and a very unique style, and you know and and whatever else you do. I'd like to know about all these things and kind of how you got into you know how you come to be and where you're at.
1: Well, you know, I I'm, I'm really so fortunate. My heritage is amazing here in Colorado. One side of my family were pioneers, um, some of the very first pioneers in 1859 Okay. and built the first brick buildings up here and were the, one of the first skiing families in Colorado. But my great grandfather was a classically trained composer and one of his sons, my uncle Leon, great uncle Leon that I'm named after, was a classical composer who played 18 instruments. And my father was a famous artist and played three instruments. So I grew up, well, that's some of my dad's artwork right behind me. Okay. Um, and my dad had this amazing love for the Navajo people. Uh, in fact, that big painting behind me is a, is a painting of that the Navajo in Monument Valley. And, um, he, uh, he met my mom when he was 34 years old and she was this beautiful four foot nine Navajo girl and he fell in love for the first time in his life because he had been a, you know, an explorer and an artist all those years and uh, yeah. a bon vivant and uh, <laughs> married her and, um, and when he was 52 years old, they had me. Whoa, <laughs> my dad amazing. was born in 1899. Whoa. So I've got this amazing heritage from the pioneer side of the family and all those classically trained musicians and then my mother's indigenous family and so uh really that's where the name little bird comes from because my pioneers family was french named dame Uno, which means little bird in french so okay. the navajo family always called me little bird so that's <laughs> that's how i got my name and that's where it comes from and my name is if you translate it it is little bird so and uh so that's part of how all the music and all that stuff happened the, the wedding side of it started spontaneously just from friends and family asking me to do their weddings 25 years ago. Okay. So um, when I did the wedding ceremony for you and Megan, that was somewhere in the 300 and something weddings that I've done. Damn. And I never, I don't really advertise people find me. And when they find me, I always figure, well, they're the right one. So it's that, that is something I do purely out of love. And I was given a gift as to speak from
0: the spirit,
1: you know, yeah. uh, you guys experienced that. And um,
0: yeah, man, I can't even, I can't even explain it. <laughs> Definitely. There's no way to explain it if you're not in person, but even on this podcast and trying to explain it is it, I'm a lost for words for experiencing that. Um, you know, just because that's, you know, you're indigenous to that, your you're people to that area. <laughs> and right. to, to bring that to someone who's not, you know, used to that type of, Momentum and wind and energy and sunlight and <laughs> things <at> the altitude, <laughs> yeah. yeah, we were we were over ten thousand feet we were at about
1: eleven thousand feet where we did the ceremony, yeah, next to that beautiful lake, yeah, so what has been the real driving force in my life ever since I was four years old has been music, okay, and um that's really what i spend most of the day doing every day i mean you can see instruments all around me here yeah. um that's uh what is it's really my life force really is based around writing and singing composing uh, i'm in the middle of working on four new songs right now <laughs> it's crazy to as a singer-songwriter to be writing three new songs simultaneously because you get the words all screwed up you're, <laughs> you're trying to memorize them <laughs> so you can perform them. And it's like, wait, what, what you know? And it's so. But that's me, that's my life. And um, I'm also composing uh, on commission from the La Jolla Symphony, a piece for Native American flute and symphony orchestra. So, and it's not my first foray into the classical music scene with ancient instruments, and we had, we played the flute at your, uh, at your wedding ceremony. Yeah, you know, nice. it's, it's, a, it's such a grounding and incredibly cool, you know, two of my albums are strictly just instrumental flute music, and people use them for meditation and yoga and all kinds of cool stuff because it really chills you right out, man. It just like, <laughs> puts you in the moment. And um, But this will be a, a 12-minute piece with uh, two little sections of narrative storytelling um, in, in it. Um, but it's all native flute and symphony orchestra. And so that's, um, that's really the very first instrument I ever picked up as a kid was the native flute. And okay. my dad took me to Taos to one of the family celebrations at the Pueblo. And, um, there was this beautiful old grandfather playing the flute. I was four and, um, I just took to the guy, man. I I was lighting his cigarettes and bringing him coffee. And I wanted, I wanted to play that instrument, man. So my dad being an artist and a craftsman and made me my first flute, He carved it out of an Aspen branch. And, um, and of course at four years old, you know, I was kind of playing the same four notes over and over all day long. Uh, but it, that started it off for me. And then, then of course, a couple years later, or maybe a year later, when I was five, I saw Elvis Presley on TV and oh. I saw how it affected my older sister. She was <laughs> older than me. So she was like 17, 18 at the time. And it was like I was looking at Elvis going, that's cool. And watching my sister go what? get all Twitter pated just like, I got to do this. This is so the next day I was in the workshop trying to make a guitar. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that that started a. You know, music, really, I, I do a lot of storytelling gigs, too. And I do this thing about the indigenous history of music. And one of the things I try and emphasize is <laughs> one of the reasons the primitive people started inventing instruments is because chicks dig it. Yeah, it makes, it makes sense. <laughs> it's, it's part of the, the proliferation of the human race is music. Yeah. You know, it's
0: a, it's a form of communication that is really special. So it's cool. Well, and so you specialize in doing that. Um, and we also briefly had a conversation beforehand, I want to talk about that too, is um use because I've just been thrown into this um cannabis industry <laughs> um accidentally, really. I'm not a huge user, but I do, you know, see benefits in C B D and I have had my you know fair share of you know this and that. Um but um I've seen the the growth of it and how amazing that it it, it act, the product is and what we're doing with it now in this day and age. And you've had some success with, you know, cannabis. So let's talk about what you went through and those trials and tribulations. Well,
1: well, success is really operative word there. It saved my life. Yeah, that's um,
0: well, I'm putting it lightly.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um six years ago, uh I came down with a massive lung infection. Okay. And was really, really, really sick. Um, My oxygen level got down to around 50%. My lungs were filling up. And I spent 21 days in the hospital. They couldn't figure out how, they gave me every antibiotic that they had. I was in the ICU for nine days. Gosh. I mean, that's crazy. And and then on top of that, um, while I was in the stress of that infection, uh, I got leukemia and uh, you know, that was my third bout of this rare form of leukemia. I had um, taken many years before I had done chemo and swore I'd never do that again because that really really screwed up my health. I was a world-class athlete before that and after chemo i it was hard for me to even train right um, and so um, the chemo or the, the leukemia came back while I was in the hospital. So there I am with this huge infection and no white blood cells. <laughs> now, that's the one-two punch. Most people yeah. do not survive that. I mean, that's almost not survival because the, the infection is going to kill you. And that's why it took 21 days in the hospital to get it under control because I was that sick. So the doctors wanted to do chemo again, and of course, you know, and, and which I refused to do. So I took matters into my own hands. I did something most people aren't willing to do and said, I'm going to do this my way. Right. So I went to the most renowned cancer oncologist um, in Summit County here where I live in Colorado. And had him. he had all my records and did all the tests. And I said, OK, here's what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm going to go on a raw food diet and I'm going to take cannabis oil. And if it doesn't work, then I'll come back to you <laughs> and we'll talk to what you want to do. But I just want you to know what I'm gonna do and I'm gonna have you monitor my progress. So I'm gonna have you doing my blood work and you know, I'll come in, you know, yeah. once a month and we'll see how it goes. So it was, he was like, Great. I've never met anyone that wanted to do that. So this will be cool. So that's what I did. I went on a, a natural food diet, which was, you know, that's no meat, no wheat, no dairy, no sugar, no alcohol, you know. Um, I mean, it's like what's left <laughs> well, you're eating, you're eating vegetables. You're not eating anything yeah. out of a box. Um, nothing processed, uh, everything's, you know, so I was doing a lot of juicing, you know, and just really, really had to learn a lot. It was a great learning experience for me. And, um, and on top of that, I did what's called Rick Simpson oil. Now I had done a lot of research about this because I had had leukemia before, And I knew that leukemia was, leukemia is really cancer of the blood. It's irregular blood cells crowding out the healthy blood cells. So it's, that's what, there's 42 different types of leukemia. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's crazy. And, (laughs) And the type I had was very rare. And actually what's even weirder is a very good musician friend of mine up here in Summit County, Arnie J. Green, had almost exactly the same leukemia and didn't survive. Man. And um, so I was I had done a lot of research about, well, if I get it again, what am I going to do? Right. Because I knew I wouldn't do chemo. So I was like, all right. So uh, Rick Simpson oil or also called Phoenix Tears has got a huge success and track record for curing cancer and reducing tumor size. But I knew from the research that leukemia is especially responsive to THC. Yeah. So, in the research, one of the things I learned was, you know, CBD, we all know, is curative, right? I yeah. take CBD oil every day. Mm-hmm. Um, after being a professional skier for many years, my body, I've got metal parts holding me. Oh, together. I can only and imagine. That yeah. was going
0: to be about, we got to talk about that, too, after we get <laughs> this That's interesting. I didn't know that either. <laughs> uh, 35 years of being a professional Man.
1: skier, and I've skied all my life. This will be my 68th season on the hill this year. Man. And, um, but, so... I have, I wake up going, uh, uh, I'm like a rodeo guy, you know, it's like parts of me wake up an hour after I've already had my coffee, you know, so, um, and CBD really works. That really relieves the, 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 the stress and the pain from all those things. But when THC and CBD are separated, they become less effective. So CBD, when THC is present is four times more effective. And but it was actually THC that was more curative for leukemia than CBD. Okay. So that's something really interesting for the listeners to understand is that um, THC is also the 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 recent THC doesn't have the um, popularity of CBD is because it's psychoactive. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I spent seventy five days. Well, you have to work your way up. Uh, I did a gram a day okay. for forty-five days. Now, let me let me put that in layman's terms. If you do a little gummy, an edible with that's 10, 10 milligrams, you get high.
0: Oh hell yeah, you get
1: high. <laughs> I was doing twelve hundred milligrams. That's insane it is insane. And you have to ramp up. You can't just start <laughs> that, you know? And so, and I was doing in four doses a day. I was very scientific. I blogged everything. I kept perfect records. And I was also doing yoga and meditation and, you know, I, everything that I knew how to do for, for those 75 days, it was 24 seven was about healing. Everything I did, uh, you know, my life, obviously, I couldn't work, so I couldn't perform. Yeah. And um, everything halted. And so... Really, DJ, it was more like a shamanic experience because I was really high. <laughs> <laughs> and I had friends that would come to visit just because I would explain, I could tell them the mysteries of the of the world, you know. I, uh, you know, it was it, and they were recording stuff that I was telling them because it was just like profound. Yeah. And um and uh, it was actually a pretty wonderful experience. I look back on it now all these six years later, and I remember waking up going, I feel great. <laughs> and I hadn't even done the first dose of the day.
0: And you're and, taking uh, you're taking this oil, um, uh, some lingle-based, like droppers, right? Right. What yeah. What
1: I would do is I would weigh out the gram of the oil mm-hmm. uh, on a little digital scale, which is only the size of a big chunk of rice you know, a gram of Wick Simpson oil is <laughs> very, very small. And, um, and then I would mix it with coconut oil. Okay, And, and then I would take a syringe and put, put all of that coconut oil and, and cannabis oil into a syringe that I could measure out four equal doses during the day. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. One day when I was about three weeks into full strength dose, I was taking the third dose of the day and it was, the syringe was kind of oily from the coconut oil and I slipped and took two doses at once. <laughs> and, um, I, this is kind of a funny story cause I had it in my mouth and it was like, do I swallow it? And it was like, I did so much acid in the sixties. This is, <laughs> you know, so, uh, I swallowed it and, uh, and I did, and a buddy of mine came over to play music that day and we were playing and all of a sudden I was hearing other instruments and, then I looked up in these paintings behind me. I was looking at right at them. They were floating on smoke. They weren't even on the wall. And there were little bunnies crawling around in the carpet. And it was <laughs> like, wow, I have a whole new respect for cannabis, you know, yeah. you can
0: hallucinate on cannabis. Well, that's why I, that's why I asked that question. If you took it, you know, via dropper like sublingual, because the THC, you know, it hits you different taking it, ingesting it versus smoking, you know, when you're smoking the highest. You know, immediate and doesn't linger. But taking it, ingesting it, you know, it. I mean, it. It's time release and it's very strong.
1: (laughs) Well, and you know, that's where you know, here in Colorado, with the it being legal, that was where we ran into a lot of problems with tourists coming up because they would, you know, get a candy bar. Oh yeah. uh, And each little piece of the candy bar is ten milligrams and they'd eat two or three of those. Yeah. And then an hour
0: later, they haven't felt anything. So they'd eat two or three. Yeah, minutes. that's the problem. That is the problem. i tell and everyone.
1: Then, uh, and then all of a sudden they are so loaded yeah, that they can't function, you know, yeah. and they end up in the hospital because they're freaking out because yeah. they're so loaded. But it's I've like, been, I've, been just,
0: I've been there. I've been that person before. <laughs> <laughs> you just, it's, been, you just, it's been a couple years. too much, you know? Yeah. It was, it, but, well, I mean, you, 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 you're, if you're used to taking it in, you know, via smoke and you, it's not working by that point. You're like, what's wrong? Maybe I need more. And then nope. Yeah. You just got to wait. You got to be patient. So, so that's, that's
1: my story, but here's the best part of the story. Um, so after 90 days at 90 days, after I got out of the hospital and started this with the 75 days of being at full strength, my blood count came to normal. That's crazy. Now chemo would have taken my blood count to zero. You know, and actually, DJ, I'm pretty sure that I it would have killed me because yeah. I was so weak from that infection and being in the hospital. I had lost like 30 pounds. I weighed what I weighed in high school. I mean, I was skinny, thin, you know, 140 pounds, just like that's, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm a big, bigger guy than that. You know, I'm not that tall, but I'm pretty thick. And uh, I was really, really depleted. And I think it would have killed me. And instead, in 90 days, my blood count was normal. And the oncologist—these are his exact words—you've
0: done what we can't do. Yeah, I mean, the, the the that's an amazing story, and it's insane too because there's been so much. I've been with, with working in this industry in the past few months now. I've, I've seen so many different things and heard stories similar to yours, and stories, you know, getting people off opioids by using, yeah. you know, cannabis and you know, CBD and things like that. And, and then the use of those things in um, people with have you know, that have arthritis, high blood pressure, you know, people who have chronic pain who are the, in, you know, who are elderly. And when I say elderly, I mean, you know, up in the eighties and nineties, you know, you're old people that are trying this stuff out and it's actually working. But the problem is, is that it was so frowned upon 40 years ago, 50 years ago that a lot of people are, you know, hesitant to try it out because, that's just, they've been, that's been, you know, beat in their brain that there's something you shouldn't do. It's bad. You know what I mean?
1: Well, that wasn't a problem for me because I, you know, I played in <laughs> rock and roll bands my whole life growing yeah. up. And I first, I smoked my first joint in 1964 Hell yeah! when I was 14 years old, you know? So, uh, uh, I was lifeguard at the local pool and we had a lot of Mexican kids there and they had pot <laughs> and, um uh, like, cool, let's go. You know, it was the sixties. And, uh, So I've always been an advocate of, um, I was actually in a funny way, I was kind of disappointed when they legalized it because I'd kind of liked being an outlaw all those years. (laughs) You know, that was kind of one of my things that I, you know, and I always enjoyed, especially when I was working out a lot, when I was training and every day, uh, I would smoke a joint and relax. And I didn't know anything about the medicinal. That, that, That wasn't on anybody's radar then.
0: Yeah. No, you know, wasn't it, was
1: just, it was just like, and I wasn't drinking because I was competing. So, just because I was training so hard and working out every day, I just wasn't, you know, I'd have a beer every now and then, but I wasn't really drinking.
0: Yeah.
1: And, um, and, and so I always enjoyed the benefits of, of how it would make me feel. After a really hard workout, I'd smoke a joint, I'd feel great, you know, as I go, I'm not sore anymore. And um, so, when all this stuff came out, so I spent years really researching all that before I did it. And, um, but
0: I can honestly say that cannabis saved my life, man. Yeah. That's, that's, that's amazing. Um, when you told me that, I was just like, Oh, well, hold on. Let's talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be, I want to hear this first on the podcast, <laughs> not privy, privy to that, but it, no, it's uh, no, that is amazing. And it, it's all, it's awesome to be hearing, you know, stories like yours and others who've just, you know, we're on the forefront of something that was, um, just, Man, it was just demonized for so long, and come to find out, it was because of politics. That's all it boils down to, you know. And uh, look at the hemp industry,
1: you know, it was cut off, and it was it was all because of a rich guy that owned paper companies didn't want, you know. And he, you know, well, we know that the rich own the politicians. I mean, that's we all know that. I mean, that's just that's not a disputable point it doesn't matter if you're red or blue right it, it's no, no. like the rich own the politicians and um the only socialism that exists in america is for the rich Yeah, exactly they're taxing us and not them yeah so
0: it's, that's socialism dude <laughs> that, yeah i mean it is and, that, and that's been the flaw with the with the with ca- the cannabis industry and now that you know it's, it's making strides and your state's one of the first ones to you know legalize it and um you guys have had great success and we're um we're in louisiana and we, it's legal for medical um it's been decriminalized a lot of it's been decriminalized um and then also the flowers about to be approved for medical so that's exciting for people who are using it for you know those type of uses um and a lot of stuff is coming out like in it right now is when it's all just you know kind of we're we're finding out things that we were never told about these products and these things and um i'm a huge advocate for cbd um i use it for the anti-inflammatory purposes um from training crossfit and fighting previously and so much you know competitive weightlifting and stuff like that so i love it for those you know benefits but also you know like you said you you smoked weed you know forever you know back in the day but you didn't know the healing factors of it until you researched it and, and then you're a prime example of What the evolution of the, oh man, just the science behind it, you know, what we've been able to find out being that now it's been legalized in places where we can test these things and use these things.
1: Well, it it was an interesting um, edification for me when all of the medical stuff first started coming out Mm -hmm. because it was like, I've been using it like that for years (laughs) (laughs) and I I felt really validated, you know, it was like, wow, it like I kind of knew that you know, it was like, uh, it was a great way to relax. It was a, you know, um, way, way back in my past, I had a a very successful consulting company that, and I was a public speaker and traveled around the country for years. And it was stressful, uh, running a company being, a, you know, flying a hundred thousand miles a year, you know, um, I presented in 72 cities one year. I mean, that's yeah. a big schedule. And, um, You know, I'd get back to the hotel room and I'd go out on the balcony, (laughs) smoke a bowl. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, it was better than going into the bar and drinking a bunch of bourbon because that would just give me a, uh, well, it it was great. I enjoyed it, but I'd be slow the next morning. Exactly. You know, I'd be slow waking up and and then this way I wasn't. So, uh, um, yeah, it's, I'm really glad that people's consciousness and awareness of the the benefits of cannabis are, are starting to really unfold. You know, it's interesting here. Um, you know, in, in my live music gigs now, I I, uh, I I do that wonderful Gershwin brothers song, "Summertime." You know, yeah. <laughs> everyone is covered. And uh, Lisa Ann White and I now are doing this duet that's just killer, and um, it's a kind of Johnny Cash, June Carter kind of a duet. Okay. Uh, I've changed the 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 lyrics in summertime when we do it to uh, uh, the you know, uh, fish are jumping and the tourists are high because <laughs>
0: it's uh, we really see it here. Um, I, I saw it firsthand last time I was there, probably a day prior to meeting you, um, <clears throat> just walking down Minnesota Springs. And um it's some you can tell we're tourists, I mean that's a little tourist city, excuse me. And um basically saw that, you know, how high just a few of them were just passing by.
1: <laughs> well, we we see it a lot, you know. Um uh it, especially uh skiing. You know, I oh, can really? really
0: that would oh, be that's that scares the shit out of me. There's no way. First off, I don't like heights getting up to that mountain to meet you was the hardest thing <laughs> I've done in a long time. Um, because there's absolutely. I remember bar- when you got out of your truck, you were kind of making sure both feet were on the and ground. There's no guardrails <laughs> all the way up there. And um, and not to mention an 18 wheeler met me coming down and I was going up and I was, I, I said, shit. <laughs> he looked off the side and was like, there's, it's a long ways down. I was like, don't tell me that. Damn it. <laughs> yeah. So I had no idea we were going up that higher, you know, that's where we're meeting you, but that, I've experienced that firsthand, and there's no way that I would get high <laughs> up that high and then get on a pair of skis and try to go down.
1: Well, you know, I've spent my whole life at this altitude. So yeah. um, you know, that's just that's just normal life for yeah, me. I get it. When back in the day when I was still competing, I was, you know, I raced bicycles for 13 years, and that was um that was because I was a ski racer and I stayed in shape by racing bikes. And uh, but I've that Loveland Pass where we were. I used to ride over that every morning as part of my training ride on a bike. So I would start on the Summit County side and ride over to Loveland and then ride back. And um, yeah, great descent. About (laughs) it. It's a hard climb, you know, both ways. It's steep, but um, you can haul ass on the descent.
0: I bet so. So tell me about the, the skiing part of your life. Well, you know, as I said
1: earlier, my pioneer family. Um, my great grandfather was born in the mountains of France. Okay. And so he used skis for transportation, for hunting. It wasn't a sport. So when he got here, he made skis and, um, you can't see them. I got a pair right over here in the corner, um, that were my dad's, um, have a leather strap for a binding. My dad was five foot one. These skis are eight feet long. And so I'm. Once again, I was very fortunate to be born into this family. Um, my brother and sister are much older than I am, so they were pretty much teenagers by the time I came around. And they couldn't wait to take me skiing. <laughs> so I don't have a single memory of a winter when I wasn't on skis. Um, it was like I was born on them. Uh, as soon as I could walk, they were pulling me around the yard you know, with skis on. And uh, all I wanted to do was ski as a yeah. kid. That was all I wanted to do. and. So by the time I was 11, 12 years old, I could keep up with my brother and his friends who were in their 20s. And they were ski racers and and ski instructors. And uh, so uh, and then at one point in my life, I had eight ski shops. Oh, Okay. And so it was it became a business as well as a passion. And uh, so I started training ski instructors at Crested Butte. Oh, God, 35 years ago. Uh, as a request from the director of skiing there knew me and he asked me to, because my my ski shops were really cool this is in the early 80s and uh, mid early to mid 80s and i had ski movies playing um you know and back then a vcr was like a thousand bucks you know it was <laughs> like <laughs> and uh there weren't that many ski movies out. Warren Miller was about the only one, you know, there were a few, three or four Warren Miller movies, but so I had a as big as like 27 inch screen TV, which was huge back then, you know, and they were giant. Remember TVs yeah. were flat screens. They were big, thick, heavy things up on a stand playing ski movies. And, um, and I had a little... Uh, A policy that would tune your, if you bought your skis from us, would tune them while you waited, if you needed them tuned. But would serve you a glass of wine or a beer and the cute sales girl would talk to you about what, you know, and next thing you know, you're buying new shit, you know. So so it was uh, a big party for a grand opening of my biggest store, which was huge. It had a revolving ski deck and tennis court and uh, 26,000 square foot store yeah big really big um two two levels and three actually with the tennis court up on the roof but um we invited the the crested butte was one of the kind of sponsors or benefits from the grand opening or 700 people there and he came to me and he was you know from switzerland and he had this heavy accent i had no i'd skied with him for years robel stravar is a great guy Think you can teach my instructors to be like your staff? You know, it's like, sure. <laughs> and um, I'd been skiing all my life and I knew all the instructors up there, but I had never really taught skiing. And so I gave this wonderful presentation to the entire ski school. And in the middle of the whole thing, I just stopped and went, I'm doing something I don't believe in right now. I'm talking to you guys about teaching skiing and I've never actually taught. So tomorrow morning give me a uniform and I'm going to go out and teach a lesson. And they all went, oh you know. So the next morning I would I remember it very well because my uh, my cousin and best friend was the um uh, assistant director at the time. And so I was in uniform with him and he was so excited I was finally going to be a ski instructor. Right. And we're riding up the lift and it's like this is cool. A new phase in my my skiing career I've I've got on a uniform and it's kind of you know it's kind of cool. And They gave me 26 never-evers from Texas. (laughs) 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 And I was more concerned that I was going to kill them than anything else, you know? And and, uh, so I learned really quick um, that you need training and um, long story short, that became, I got certified at at PSIA professional ski instructors of America, PSIA. Um, I got certified, uh, went, Full certification, and then became an examiner and started leading clinics for them. and And I wrote a real proprietary uh, program that was student centered. <laughs> now, back in the day in the ski industry, it was about teaching you to ski. It wasn't about who are you, what do you do, what do you you know, what other sports do you do? You know, it was about do what I tell you, <laughs> and it was very hierarchical. Hierarch- hierarchical. And, uh, and I, and I didn't dig it. Um, it was, it was authoritarian. It was, um, task and command. And it's like, it's really about the experience. We're not turning people on to skiing. We're frustrating the crap out of them and making them not want to do it because they, it's hard, it's hard to learn. And so let's make learning fun. And so that turned into a whole, now it's the culture. Um, I mean, it was really it was the seed that planted that started it for all for all of skiing now that the, the culture is got that piece in it. And uh, I was real, real proud that I got to help get that launched. Um, it, it's really kind of cool to look back. and And I've retired from teaching now. And the main reason is two years ago when I was a Basin's been my home area i uh, 68 years at A-Basin this year. And um, okay. so my best friend ended up becoming the ski school director at A-Basin like 20 years ago. And, of course, I was the first guy that he brought on board to do all the training. And and since then, we've had a revolution. A-Basin's got one of the best ski schools on the planet now. We started a whole kids program, built a $2 million kids center. I mean, it, it's really, uh, I'm so happy. I can walk to A-Basin. I feel proud because there's buildings that were my dream. You know that I've skied there all my life. It's my home area, but I've left an impact there that's still ongoing, so that really is good for the heart and good for yeah. the soul and um so I would go help out when they were busy because I really wasn't teaching all the time anymore. I was doing training and and doing clinics and and um so they gave me a guy from China who was coughing. <laughs> And six days later, the entire ski industry shut down because of COVID. Oh! And um, so I said, you know, I think that's a good sign from the energy of the universe that it's time for me to quit. Because <laughs> you, know, um, you know, I mean, I wouldn't shake this guy's hand. He wanted to tip me. He had he was handing me money, and it was like, uh, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't even take his money, you know, I and I wouldn't sit next to him on the chair, let that sit as far away from him as I could get you know and i was you know, and he wanted to shake my hand I was like, oh, uh you know you, you you don't sound healthy you know and um so it was kind of weird, but in the course of my um my training instructors i was fortunate enough to do ski instructor training for every major ski resort in the Rocky mountains, really. All the Vale Mountains, all the Aspen Mountains, Telluride, Crested Butte, all of them. It's crazy. And um, it, so it, it really for many, many years of my life, um, I was on the road constantly playing gigs and training instructors. And I was just I was just a busy guy.
0: Well, that's <clears throat> that's a lot. I had no idea. You know, I knew the um, you know, I knew just what we had briefly talked about when I first met you. Um, I mean, man, you've done a lot. You're still doing a lot.
1: Yeah, it's still happening. It's, uh, I'm like, I mentioned earlier, I'm doing this wonderful duet now with Lisa Ann White, who's also, you know, the love of my life and, um, kind of a cool story. When we met, she didn't, she, she had always loved music and had been music classically trained, but was afraid, was afraid to do anything in public. You know, she wouldn't even sing with me in the living room. I'd go, I can tell you have a good voice, you know, no, 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 you know. So I took her, um, Every other year, I take 20 people down the Grand Canyon for a river trip. And we don't do it in rafts. We do it in dories, which are 16-foot rigid rowboats. um, We do it the old school way. And uh, so in 2018, we were all ready to go. And um, we had a cancellation. And it was like, Lisa, you want to go? She was like, yeah. She had like 10 days to get ready. I mean, everyone else spends two years preparing for this trip, and she had like ten days to, and and she did it. And um, so we went on that trip. And she had started playing flute already, and she was classically trained playing clarinet. So the native flute came to her. She's the most naturally gifted native flute player I've ever met, and she blew my mind. She she asked me, "We've been together a year." She said, "Can I try one of your flutes?" Like, baby, there's seventy of them, you know, pick one <laughs> up go for it. and um, she and she instant right from the get-go was like playing better than any student I'd ever had. And, um, and she's just got the gift. And so she was playing flute and that was all working out and in the canyon. It's just amazing hearing the flute when you're floating in the canyon, you know, it's just amazing. And so Lava Falls is the biggest rapid in North America. So it is the most intense, um, rapid you can, you can, Go down, and um, that night after Lava Falls in the campsite, she started singing with me, huh. and her voice was like, "Baby, this your voice. Your voice is as good as your flute playing." I mean, oh my god! And she goes, "Well, I just ran the biggest rapid in North America. I'm not afraid of anything anymore." <laughs> <laughs> so, so that was 2018. She's been performing with me ever since, and yeah. she just continues to get better. So, so that's what's been going on. Is I've been really Having fun with this duet. In fact, I did a, a solo gig uh, about a month ago, and it felt really weird because you know, <laughs> it felt like there was something missing. You know, yeah, I bet so. Uh, yeah, it's it, it's. Can you imagine um, how cool that is for our relationship? That, yeah, mean that's it, it, it. Kind of, it, it kind of added itself on organically, and it's not like we met at a gig and she was singing. You know, right, uh, right, yeah.
0: That's even that's even stronger. I mean, creates a stronger bond there.
1: Yeah, it's it's really cool.
0: You guys playing locally up there and you're still recording some stuff now too? Well, you know, the recording side of my
1: career has taken an interesting divergence. Um, You know, the CD business is over. Nobody buys CDs anymore. Right, right. And it's too bad because I used to make a lot of money selling CDs at gigs, you know. Um, I did a... I've done concerts at festivals and stuff where I was well paid to perform and made more money selling CDs than I did to perform and walked away with three times what I thought I was going to make because the CD sales were so brisk and that doesn't happen anymore. And, uh, you know, big music industry figured out a way to cut us independent guys out and they really, they really screwed us. Um, I just got an order from my website for three CDs. It's the first order I've had in two years. <laughs> and in fact, one of the CDs she wanted isn't even in print anymore. So it's like, Oh my God. So the recording side has changed and um, what really shifted was with COVID. Yeah. So, um, you know, that shut down the music industry completely. hundred percent of us were out of work. So what I did, we have, a. a well, when I was back to when I was really sick, and then my, I've mentioned my friend Arnie Green. When when Arnie was sick, we did a lot of benefit concerts for him and, and silent auctions and fundraisers to try and help him pay his bills and keep him going. Then when, same thing for me. When I got sick, the, all the musicians up here put on benefit concerts. and And then they got together at one of the concerts they did for me, the big one. And they were all there, you know. A half a, there were a dozen different players there, and they said, "Why are we waiting till someone's sick? Why don't we do something proactive?" So, um, my good friend Steve Plummer st- took the bull by the horns and started what we call Summit Musicians Relief Fund, SMRF. Smurf. <laughs> okay. And uh, yeah, we're in blue, and and so uh, uh, Smurf uh, is, a, is an ongoing thing now. We're in our fourth year. Uh, we've raised a lot of money. We do several big events every year, fundraisers, and um, and we get grants from local um, foundations. And uh, we've been able to help numerous musicians. But when COVID hit, and I sit on the board of directors, so the, the board sat down and said, how do we help everybody, right? So I came up with this idea and I did 25 virtual concerts and put them on YouTube, and um, it really worked. So I was able to give 44 out of work musicians really good-paying gigs. Good, awesome. And so when I presented it to the board, I had done a whole spreadsheet, and it's like, this is what it'll cost us, and this is how much of the fund it's going to take, and it's a big chunk of money. And, the, and here in Silverthorne, we have a beautiful performing arts center, Silverthorne Performing Arts Center. And they gave me a theater to use because they were out of business too. Yeah. Right. COVID had shut them down. So with really strict COVID protocols and disinfecting everything and bring your own microphones and everybody wearing masks until it's time to perform and that whole thing. Um, And the board of directors approved this big amount of money to do these to do 20 to 20 shows. We ended up doing 17. Um, Here's the beautiful thing, DJ. After the dust cleared and we were done, they were all in the can, all out there. We had more money
0: than we started with. That's amazing.
1: Now that's just this community and that's the spirit of, you know, and music does that music has that effect on people. You know, um, there are so many people, everybody up here in summit knows me, but they come and hear you perform for two hours. They think they know you. Yeah. Right. Right. And I haven't said five words to them personally, (laughs) but they're, you're their friend now. Yeah. And, um, and that in a, take on, on a broader scale when you have all the musicians in town all those good local players um and then all their friends came and the support was amazing so i never set out for it to be a fundraiser i set out to help out of work musicians and uh it ended up doing both well, look at that
0: how cool huh that's pretty amazing i mean it is well <clears throat> before we wrap this thing up um is there any last plugs you may have or anything that you want to push other than what we talked about? And, um, uh, where can anyone find your music? Um, aside from you, I know you have a lot of stuff on YouTube and stuff on Facebook, but anything on, uh, are you on Spotify?
1: Oh yeah. I'm you. on
0: Spotify. Yeah. All those platforms you can find. Yeah, load on all those pla- Okay, cool.
1: Yep. And if you want a CD, just go to my website, little Bird <laughs> <laughs> music <laughs> and, uh, Man. and, the, and I'm actually, you know, this is your business, but I'm actually getting, ready to redo the website cause it's old and outdated and <laughs> really didn't know what I was going to do with it. I, you know, it was like, everything's changing. I don't. So, um, so we'll have uh, little bird music, native Colorado music, native Colorado weddings. i will okay. also be on there. Um, so, um, a bunch of cool stuff. So yeah, just, uh, you know, keep the faith out there and stay healthy for all of you that are that are listening and, um, and watching the show it's so cool dj that you do this and that you uh open up with your your show to to bring stuff out to help people kind of expand how they're thinking and um just remember that um the greatest healer on the planet is the human spirit and it's really the energy that we share with each other and it's really the support that we give each other that really makes all of that real
0: i love it man i couldn't agree more I wanna keep going, but we gotta wrap this thing up. Okay, brother. That's so good to see you, man. You too. And what you t- I, I got I call you Uncle Leon now. You told me to, yep. I never forgot. <laughs> <laughs> well, when I get to stand with you doing, doing at your wedding, I am I do become kind of Uncle Leon. <laughs> well, it was it was nice to see you, sir. And everyone, please subscribe to the podcast.
1: Yep. Thanks, DJ. See you soon.
0: All right.